Welcome to the History AI Podcast, where the past comes alive with facts, anecdotes, and a dash of humor. Here are your hosts, Chuck and Marco. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the History AI Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck, and as always, I'm joined by the fantastic Marco. Hey everyone. And today, we have a special treat for our listeners, we're joined by Civil War enthusiast and expert CJ. Welcome to the show CJ. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. It's our pleasure. Today, we're diving deep into one of the most pivotal battles of the American Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg. And who better to help us unpack this than CJ? Right, so let's set the scene. The Civil War had been raging for two years by the time we get to Gettysburg in 1863. Chuck, remind us of where we were. Indeed. The Confederacy had some significant victories under their belt and were looking to push their advantage. In the North? Well, they were getting a tad desperate. President Lincoln had been cycling through generals like I cycle through coffee mugs. Which, for our listeners, is a lot. Oh, it was more than a tad desperate. The Union needed a win, both for morale and strategically. So, let's talk troops and leadership. Who was leading the charge, CJ? On the Confederate side, we had General Robert E. Lee and his trusted Lieutenant James Longstreet. The Union had just put George Meade in charge of the Army of the Potomac. And the objectives? For Lee, it was simple, win on northern soil, possibly influence foreign intervention, and demoralize the North. Meade? He wanted to protect Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, but above all, he needed to stop Lee. Potential issues came in the form of hilly terrain, local towns, and the challenge of coordinating large armies on a complex battlefield. All right, CJ, let's dive into day one. Set the scene for us. Certainly. Early morning, July 1, 1863, Confederate forces, including those under General Henry Haight, march into Gettysburg looking for supplies, especially shoes. They didn't expect to encounter a significant Union force. But they did right? Absolutely. They ran into Union Brigadier General John Buford's cavalry division. Buford recognized the tactical significance of Gettysburg, primarily its roads that converged there. He decided to make a stand to delay the Confederates, even though his troops were outnumbered. Buford's men were dismounted cavalry, right? Yes, they fought as infantry. They used a defensive tactic, creating a thin line that stretched along McPherson's Ridge. This meeting engagement escalated as more troops from both sides poured into the area. It was going well for the Union at first, wasn't it? Indeed, Marco. The initial Confederate assaults were repulsed, and Union reinforcements under General John F. Reynolds came in, bolstering the Federal lines. But tragically, Reynolds was killed early on, a significant blow to Union leadership. As the day wore on, Confederate numbers grew as more of their divisions arrived. They launched a massive assault on the Union positions from the Northwest and the North. The Union fought fiercely, but by afternoon, they were outnumbered and outflanked. The Federals were forced to retreat through Gettysburg to the high ground south of the town, Cemetery Hill and Culp's Hill. That retreat, though chaotic, was crucial, right? Absolutely. Thanks to Union generals like Winfield Scott Hancock, they established a formidable defensive position on those hills, setting the stage for the next two days of battle. So, a chaotic day, full of unexpected clashes, a tactical withdrawal, and the stage was set for the battles that would decide the fate of the nation. Now, moving on to day two. July 2, 1863, 
This day is often considered the most complex and hard fought of the three, right CJ? Absolutely Marco. The battle lines on this day shaped like a fishhook with the Union Army positioned along Cemetery Hill and curving around to Culp's Hill, then stretching south along Cemetery Ridge. Right, and the Confederates kind of wrapped around them, didn't they? Precisely. General Lee, seeing the Union's vulnerable flanks, devised a plan. He wanted Lieutenant General James Longstreet's First Corps to attack the Union left, while Ewell's forces would press the Union right at Culp's Hill and Cemetery Hill. Longstreet wasn't too keen on the plan though, was he? Correct. He favored a defensive strategy, but Lee was determined. The attack was supposed to be early and coordinated, but delays plagued the Confederate side. Let's talk about Little Round Top. That's where a significant part of the action took place, right? Yes, it's one of the most iconic spots of the battle. Union General Governor K. Warren realized the strategic importance of Little Round Top and noticed it was undefended. He urgently called for reinforcements. And that's where Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and the 20th Maine come into the picture. Spot on. Chamberlain's men, along with other Union regiments, held the line against multiple Confederate assaults. They were on the brink of being overrun when Chamberlain ordered a daring bayonet charge, pushing the Confederates back and securing the hill. Meanwhile, on the Union's right, Ewell's forces attacked Culp's Hill and Cemetery Hill. Fierce fighting erupted, especially around East Cemetery Hill. Confederate forces briefly breached the Union defenses but were eventually repelled. The Peach Orchard, Wheatfield, and Devil's Den were also focal points of intense fighting, right? Absolutely. Brutal combat raged in these areas as Confederates clashed with Union troops. Every inch of ground was contested. The Wheatfield changed hands multiple times, and Devil's Den saw sharpshooters pinning down troops. By the end of the day, both sides were exhausted. The Union had held their ground, but at a significant cost. The fishhook line remained intact, but Lee was confident and believed that one more push might break the Union army, setting the stage for the infamous Day 3. But that's for later. It's just incredible how many micro-battles within the larger battle took place on that single day. It's a testament to the tenacity and bravery of the soldiers on both sides. Day 2 at Gettysburg was truly a day of heroes. And speaking of Day 2 Marco, you remember the wild story about General Sickles? Oh, you mean the one-legged wonder of Gettysburg? Yeah, but for our listeners CJ, would you mind giving us the tale? Haha, uh, alright. Dan Sickles, quite the character. A Union general with a penchant for doing things his way. Now, on the day in question, Sickles was ordered to hold a position along Cemetery Ridge. But old Dan, looking out at the terrain, thinks he's got a better idea. As mavericks often do. Exactly. He moves his entire Third Corps forward, way off the main line, to occupy higher ground at the Peach Orchard. It's a salient position, meaning he's vulnerable from multiple sides. Which, by the way is Military Tactics 101, avoid creating salience when you don't have to. In the result of his, let's call it innovative positioning. The Confederates attacked ferociously, smashing into Sickles' exposed position. The Union line there got hammered. And in the midst of this chaos, a cannonball blasts through Sickles' leg. But here's the kicker. Sickles, being the showman that he is, doesn't drop and writhe in pain. No, he calmly lights up a cigar, is carried away on a stretcher, and, legend has it, raises his hat to salute his troops. But wait, it gets better. After having his leg amputated, Sickles donates it to a medical museum in Washington, D.C.
And get this, he'd visited on the anniversary of the battle. That's one way to remember your contributions, I guess. Oh, and let's not forget, despite leaving Little Round Top nearly defenseless and getting a whole lot of his men killed or wounded, Sickles later claimed that his forward position was the reason the Union won at Gettysburg. That's Sickles for you, always a leg up on self-promotion. Our history. It's filled with heroes, villains, and those who dance somewhere in between. Now, moving to day three, July 3, 1863. Often seen as the climax of the battle. CJ, take us through the fateful day. Day three is best summarized in two words, Pickett's Charge. But let's not jump right to it. The morning started with the Union Army reinforcing its right flank on Culp's Hill. The Confederates, under Ewell, made several attempts to capture this position but faced fierce resistance. After hours of intense fighting, Union forces successfully repulsed Confederate attackers. So the Union's right is holding. What's Lee thinking at this point? Lee, seeing the center of the Union line as potentially vulnerable and believing the Union's left and right flanks to be fortified after the previous day's battles, decides to strike at the middle. He entrusts this task to General George Pickett, leading a fresh division, along with divisions under Generals Pettigrew and Trimble. This is it, the big gamble. Exactly. Around mid-afternoon, after a massive two-hour artillery bombardment aimed at softening up the Union Center, some 12,500 Confederate soldiers march nearly a mile across open ground towards the Union Center on Cemetery Ridge. A mile under fire. That's a harrowing journey. It was. Union artillery and infantry fire tore into the Confederate ranks as they advanced. Despite the devastating fire, a small group of Confederates managed to breach the low stone wall at a place called the Angle. That's where we get that famous line, the high water mark of the Confederacy, right? Yes, Chuck. It was the closest the South ever came to achieving a potential victory on northern soil. But Union forces, including the Pennsylvania regiments and those under Brigadier General Alexander Webb, counterattacked fiercely. And Paquette? His division was decimated. When Lee ordered him to rally his division for defense, a heartbroken Pickett reportedly replied, General Lee, I have no division. It's worth mentioning the simultaneous cavalry battle to the east, right? Absolutely. As Pickett's men advanced, Confederate General Jeb Stuart attempted to swing around and hit the Union rear. However, Union cavalry under General David Gregg and the audacious General George Armstrong Custer clashed with Stuart's men, thwarting the Confederate cavalry's intentions. By the end of the day, the Confederate assault was effectively repulsed. The Union line held strong, and Lee's gamble had failed. The magnitude of the Confederate loss was immense, and both sides recognized that the battle had reached its turning point. And thus, the Battle of Gettysburg, in many ways marked the beginning of the end for the Confederacy. Precisely. The tide of the Civil War shifted significantly after this fateful day. All right, we've dissected the three days of the Battle of Gettysburg, but let's spotlight some of the heroes whose actions resonated far beyond the battlefield. CJ, give us an in-depth look. With pleasure. Gettysburg was a canvas of individual bravery and leadership. Let's start with Union hero Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Ah, Chamberlain. A college professor turned soldier. As we mentioned earlier, he led the 20th Maine in a crucial defense of Little Round Top on day two. Facing repeated assaults and running low on ammunition, he ordered a bayonet charge, pushing back the Confederates and securing the Union left. For his actions, he later received the Medal of Honor. And on the Confederate side, we have General Louis Armistead. That's right. 
During Pickett's charge on day three, Armistead led his brigade over the wall at the angle, marking the farthest point reached by Confederate forces. Famously placing his hat on his sword as a rallying point, he was a figure of inspiration for his troops. Tragically, he was wounded shortly after crossing the wall and would later die from his injuries. His deep friendship with Union General Winfield Hancock, who was also wounded at Gettysburg, adds a poignant touch to the narrative of a divided nation. Speaking of Hancock, General Winfield Scott Hancock, a standout Union leader. He arrived on the battlefield on day one and immediately took command, making crucial decisions that shaped the Union defense. Wounded on day three, he refused to leave the field until the battle was almost over. And we can't forget about John Buford. Definitely. The Union Cavalry General played a vital role on day one by recognizing the strategic significance of Gettysburg's terrain. He made the critical decision to engage the Confederates, buying time for Union infantry to arrive and set up defensive positions. His early actions undoubtedly influenced the course of the battle. For the Confederates, there's also General Richard Garnett. Garnett is a tragic figure. Accused of cowardice in a previous battle, he sought redemption at Gettysburg. Leading his brigade during Pickett's charge, he advanced on horseback despite being ill and weak. Garnett was killed near the Union lines, but his bravery that day cleared his name. And we must remember, these are just a few names among thousands who displayed valor. Absolutely. Every soldier, from the lowest private to the highest general, played their part. Many stories of bravery remain untold, lost to the annals of time, but their collective sacrifice shaped the nation's future. A powerful reminder of the human side of war, the stories of individuals amid the chaos of battle. Now, beyond the immediate fighting and the stories of heroism, let's delve into the larger implications of the Battle of Gettysburg. CJ, break down for us just how pivotal this battle was in the context of the Civil War. Absolutely. The Battle of Gettysburg was more than just three days of intense combat, it represented a turning point in the American Civil War for several reasons. Start us off with the strategic importance. All right. Strategically, the Confederacy had been on the offensive in the Eastern Theater for most of the war. Their aim was to relieve pressure on Virginia, gather supplies from the fertile farms of Pennsylvania, and possibly even threaten cities like Philadelphia or Baltimore. A victory on northern soil might also sway foreign powers like Britain and France to recognize the Confederacy, and perhaps even intervene on their behalf. But Gettysburg halted that momentum. Precisely. Lee's defeat at Gettysburg meant that the Confederacy's best chance to win the war through foreign intervention or a negotiated peace was effectively over. The battle ensured that the war would be fought primarily in the South, leading to further strain on the Confederate economy and infrastructure. What about the moral impact? Immense. The Union victory at Gettysburg bolstered Northern morale, which was waning due to previous Confederate victories and the long duration of the war. Conversely, it was a devastating blow for the South. Many saw Gettysburg as the Confederacy's best shot at winning the war or, at the very least, securing better terms in a potential peace negotiation. And politically? It can't be overstated how crucial this was for President Abraham Lincoln. The victory provided him with the credibility he needed. Remember, the Emancipation Proclamation had been announced just months earlier, and there was significant opposition to the war in the North. Gettysburg, followed by the Union victory at Vicksburg a day later, strengthened Lincoln's position and ensured the continuation of his policies. And from a military leadership perspective? After Gettysburg, there was a shift in the leadership dynamics. 
On the Confederate side, the aura of invincibility around Lee was punctured. On the Union side, commanders like Meade were praised, but it also set the stage for the rise of General Ulysses S. Grant, who'd take command of all Union armies the following year. The repercussions of this battle echoed well beyond 1863. Indeed. The Battle of Gettysburg, while not the end of the war, signaled a shift in its trajectory. The Confederacy would never again mount a major invasion of the North, and the Union now had the momentum. It was the beginning of the end for the Confederacy. It's fascinating how three days could so profoundly influence the course of a nation. Now, as with any major battle, the cost in human lives and injuries at Gettysburg was staggering. CJ, can you delve into the numbers and give us a clearer picture of the toll this battle took? Absolutely Marco. The sheer scale of casualties at Gettysburg is both heartbreaking and a testament to the intensity of the combat. Lay the numbers on us. Over the course of the three-day battle, the Union Army reported around 23,000 casualties. That includes those killed, wounded, captured, or missing. The Confederates had about 28,000 casualties. Combined, we're looking at a staggering 51,000 casualties from both sides. Those numbers are hard to fathom. They are. To put it in perspective, that's more than the total American casualties in the 1991 Gulf War, the war in Afghanistan, and the Iraq War combined. In just three days. And within those numbers, we have specific units that suffered tremendously, right? Oh, absolutely. Let's take Pickett's division as an example. During the ill-fated Pickett's charge, they suffered a casualty rate of around 50%. That means every second soldier in that division was either killed, wounded, captured, or missing by the end of that charge. And the impact of these losses rippled through communities back home. Very true. Entire towns would mourn the loss or injury of many of their young men. Imagine small towns in Pennsylvania, Virginia, or North Carolina getting the news that a significant portion of their male population had been decimated in a single battle. It's heartbreaking. Beyond the immediate physical toll, there were long-term repercussions too, right? Indeed Chuck. Thousands returned home with life-changing injuries, both physical and psychological. The term PTSD wasn't recognized back then, but countless veterans undoubtedly suffered from it. And let's not forget about the economic burden on families who lost their primary breadwinners or had to care for wounded family members. It underscores the fact that battles aren't just historical events on a timeline, they have deep, lasting human consequences. That's precisely it Marco. The Battle of Gettysburg wasn't just a pivotal military engagement, it was a profound human tragedy on an immense scale. It's essential to remember and honor both those who fell and those who lived with the scars of those three days for the rest of their lives. Before we continue, a word from our sponsors. From the mind behind the History AI podcast comes an electrifying journey into the past. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Dive into a tale where Benjamin Franklin, America's beloved inventor, takes an unexpected journey through time. But with his leap, he unleashes a powerful ripple. Now, with dark forces lurking in the shadows, harnessing this energy to shatter and enslave the world, it's a race against time. Will Franklin fix the future? Or will history rewrite itself? Uncover the secrets. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Time has never been more fragile. On Amazon presale now. Welcome back. Now Marco, you promised jokes. Don't think I forgot. Ah yes. Why did the Scarecrow win an award at Gettysburg? I'm afraid to ask. 
because he was outstanding in his field. Oh Marco. That was corny, and I loved it. On that note thank you so much CJ for helping us unpack this iconic battle. Yes thanks CJ. And thanks to our listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, follow, and share the podcast. Also, you can suggest topics through our social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for having me guys. It was a blast. Until next time folks. 